My, my, what incredible words. When you think of that story of William Cooper or Copper, and you think of, if you know any of his story, he went through the valley of the shadow of death. He tried to commit suicide two or three times. But uh, John Newton was by his side, was patient and kind and gentle. It's quite a story. And here we sing the words. I want you to have your Bibles open now to the book of Isaiah, please. Will you turn there with me? Isaiah. Thank God that uh, by his mercy, we got up this morning. Never take that for granted. <laughs> it is the Lord's goodness. He gives us sleep, and he opens, he has his word that is before us. We want to pray now. We have people in our flock who we pray for one another and just a variety of needs physically and so many ways. And then, as you will know, then we're going to single out a, a couple. And it's not that they're more important than anybody else here, but they have been faithful for a long time. We want to give honor to whom honor is due. And that's why we are going to do what we're going to do. And if uh, you're a guest with us, uh, just uh, stay along for the ride. I think that you will, uh, you'll get something much from it. And I want you to be with me now in the book of Isaiah. I'm going to read this uh, chapter, whole chapter, 12 verses, 11 verses. And we're going to look and see what uh, this... A part of Isaiah, which I don't know that many Christians would just venture into, but uh, they should, and we will this morning. This is the third of these four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And we'll, uh, we'll seek to go into the depths of it as much as we can in the time following. So follow with me as I read, and then we're going to pray together. Isaiah chapter 50. I'm going to be reading from the New English transla translation, and it may vary a little bit from what you have. Um, I've looked it over carefully in the last months, actually. I, I, I like the way it, it sparkles where it ought to sparkle, and, and it's from a, a kind of a study Bible of a, of a kind with extensive notes uh, under the text. But I will read, and let's follow along. Now, what you're, going to be what you're going to need to notice right off, that these first four, uh, three verses are giving us an entryway. I want you to know what we're about to read. We're going to be getting an entryway, sort of the front door, into the house. And the house will open the door at verse 4. It well, you'll see it. It'll, it stands out. And there's some extraordinary language that is used here. The prophets communicated this way. Vivid word pictures. And of course, it's in Hebrew poetry and parallelism. And what he's going to be saying in these first three verses, uh, Israel, the Lord God speaks to Israel, you are, you're not forsaken, but you're being punished. And if you will think of yourself as, if you will think of the picture this way, the mother and her children, and that 
The punishment is for your mother's transgressions. The mother would be Israel, the city of Jerusalem. But uh, God is going to deliver her with extraordinary supernatural power. And I'll come back to it. Now, you with me? Let's follow. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's divorce certificate by which I divorced her? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Look, you were sold because of your sins. Because of your rebellious acts, I divorced your mother. Why does no one challenge me when I come? Why does no one respond when I call? Is my hand too weak to deliver you? Do I lack the power to rescue you? Look, with a mere shout, I can dry up the sea. I can turn streams into a desert. So the fish rot away and die from lack of water. I can clothe the sky in darkness, and I can cover it with sackcloth. The sovereign Lord has given me the capacity to be his spokesman so that I know how to help the weary. He wakes me up every morning. He makes me alert so that I can listen attentively as disciples do. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me clearly. I have not rebelled. I have not turned back. I offered my back to those who attacked my jaws to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting, but the sovereign Lord helps me, so I'm not humiliated. For that reason, I am steadfastly resolved. I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is close by. Who dares to argue with me? Let us confront each other. Who is my accuser? Let him challenge me. Look, the sovereign Lord helps me. Who dares to condemn me? Look, all of them will wear out like clothes. A moth will eat away at them. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys his servant? Whoever walks in deep darkness without light should trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Look, all of you who start a fire and who equip yourselves with flaming arrows, walk in the light of the fire you started and among the flaming arrows you ignited. This is what you will receive from me. You will lie down in a place of pain. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're stunned, stunned by his words. So, so saturated as they are, were, and are with what, who you are and what you have done for rebellious people. And Father, our minds run immediately to how you've been wonderful in grace to that you have come to us to take us from our state of rebellion, we who have put our trust in Christ by your Holy Spirit's power, and that we have been delivered, delivered from our own rebellious state of mind and place in your safekeeping. 
delivered, delivered, delivered. Thank you, God, for that work of redemption, what you've done for us. Father, there are some among us who are dealing with aches and pains, weariness of mind and body, all kinds of, all kinds of afflictions. Pray for the Kirklands, Lord, as they continue to recover from this near-fatal automobile accident. Thank you, Father, for delivering them. Now as they mend themselves and take care, uh, grant diagnostic wisdom, the right physicians, the healing of the body, confidence in you each step of the way, bring them through it. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done in delivering us from our maladies and afflictions. Thank you for Bill and Patty, Lord, and they've lived a long life together. Many, many decades, husband and wife. Thank you, Father, for your grace to others through them, their kindnesses, their gospel, love for the gospel, as we will speak of in the next hour. Now, Father, open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. We need to hear from you, Lord. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I have to play this little game with you. It's a take back, which only one of few, three of us would remember. But I think it suits you it suits well. There used to be a program on television, quite an innocent program. It's called I've Got a Secret. You remember that, some of you? <laughs> well, it was entertaining. And uh, you had mystery guests. And they would come in, and you would know who the guest was. However, those on the panel were clueless. And so uh, the panel would have to guess through a series of questions who this man or woman was. They, they, they asked questions to, to establish clues to see if they could get it. Well, this is something of what's going on in Isaiah, chapter 42, 49, now 50. We got three, this will be the third of these fourth, uh, what is a four set of clues as to who is this servant? You, know, you want to know what we've seen? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right, here are our clues. Here they are. Thus far in chapters 42 and 49, God chose me. I'm the, he's the chosen one. He's a human, but more than a human. Brings justice. He will be a deliverer, a light to the Gentiles. He will live a life of obedience. He will deal gently and not be crushed. He will defend the honor of God. He will be successful in his mission. He will have a time of preparation, though he will be hidden, hidden from the limelight. If I might insert here, just in a little old dusty village up in the northern part of Israel, a little place called Nazareth. Been there. Looks a little better today, but didn't look like wasn't much in that day. Hidden, hidden, unknown, unrecognized. He will be a Jew and fulfill the destiny of Israel. He will remain faithful. His message will go out to the whole world. God's salvation to the end of the earth. People will be set free from the worship of idols. Kings will bow down to the servant. People will honor the servant. God's glory will be displayed to the world through his servant. 
he will gather Israel back to the land. Now, is this the kind of person someone Isaiah would have made up by himself? <laughs> is this just a mischievous trick? No. But he will conquer the world by being obedient to the Father, by serving, not goals of his own. He will spend his whole life listening and serving. And he's going to do all this? Not your typical uh, movie scenario, is it? All this in contrast to the world's view of a hero, like an Alexander the Great or a Napoleon, if you will. He will be despised and rejected, but he will triumph. Isaiah's words go against all human expectations. Is this the kind of script that you would write up to get people on the... Well, wait a minute. It would get you on the edge of your chair, wouldn't it? I know we'd like to figure this out. Who is this servant? We're about to get now into this third set of clues. I think you're probably not clueless. <laughs> you, gotta, you know what's going on. What you want to know and pick up on is in these first three verses. I read them with a, just a little brief explanation a moment ago. But what he's doing is in beginning, he says, sovereign, he says, the Lord, the sovereign Lord says. And this certificate of divorce and all, he's just simply setting up to saying, listen, you're going up into Babylon. And it is a, you are, you're there. What he's actually doing is that he's putting himself beyond the experience in Babylon, where they would be going. Can you get that? It's, it's a back and forth. But here you are where you are in Babylon as a, because God is chastening you, disciplining you for your rebellion against him. What kind of children were you? And look at what's happened with your mother. I have temporarily issued a certificate of divorce, but it's not lasting. Not at all. And then you notice these questions that are there about, what, five, four, five, six of these questions? You know, questions are an important thing. You, you could really build a, quite a series of messages uh, comes to my mind at the moment of if you just took the questions. I know I have a friend who's taken, I once uh, reviewed a dissertation from someone who had done all the questions that to ask of Jesus and the questions he asked. They do reveal a lot. Do you ask yourself questions? Um, uh, a question, uh, it's an interrogatory, interrogatory to ask you that, to tell you it's important. Have soliloquies. So, soliloquies, which we're about to get into in verse 4, it's where you're talking out loud, but you're talking to yourself. Some of us older people are a little more familiar with that process. And... Uh, this is what a soliloquy is. And you're, you're mouthing your thoughts out loud. And so with that stated and these questions asked here, our curiosity is really tweaked a bit, isn't it? Who is this? All right, let's do this. I think that we'll see four, four of these clues. Let's look at them. And then we have an extraordinary conclusion. It really... We're set up for it in verses 10 and 11. It's like these, these um, servant songs. All of them have what some have called a tailpiece. You, you get the words of the servant from the servant, about the servant. And then right at the end, there is some kind of a special punch 
And the punch is quite interesting in verses 10 to 11. All right, stay with me. And now let's look at this first clue that comes out here at this point. You are in your condition because you are being chastened under covenant chastening, vividly described in Deuteronomy 28 Leviticus 26. God said that if you defy me and if you break my covenant, that there will be a lot to pay for that. So that's what's going on. And then, and then all of a sudden, the servant breaks in and begins to speak. It's kind of abrupt, isn't it? For when he says, the Lord God, that the Hebrew there, Adonai Yahweh. Yahweh, though, interestingly, uh, for those who like to look at the language and the names of God, the word translated God here is Yahweh. And it's the same word as translated Lord with all capital letters in verse 1 of chapter 50. But point being, Yahweh, that was God's personal name. It's the name by which you knew him as you entered into relationship with him. I, I had a professor in, in seminary, and, uh, well, it was Dr. John Whitcomb. And uh, he was always Dr. Whitcomb, mind you. Uh, none of this uh, impudent uh, or familiar talk is Dr. Whitcomb. And actually, the, the, his first, when his first wife died, uh, he married a few years later. And she was younger than him, and she was used to calling him Dr. Whitcomb. So they had to work through that. And so, but the point I'm going to get at is that I, I learned along the way that he had a name by which his really close friends knew him. It comes out in his, uh, his biography written by his son. And he had, I won't go any further with that, but he had, he had a name. I, I kind of felt a little let down because I never knew him by that name. <laughs> but those who were in, in that really close circle knew him by that name. Closely, closely related to it. All right, now we're set up. So he says here in verse four, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. The first clue we see in this song is this, that the servant of God will be trained through an intimate relationship with God the Father. Here's how it unfolds that the servant was trained to hear the voice of God. This was his mission, was to come through, to, to present himself. After having lived for most of his life, uh, probably up to the age of 30, in relative obscurity. And he would, but yet he turned out to be the world's greatest speaker, the world has ever seen or will ever know. He came to be the greatest of teachers. He could spellbind audiences, not by histrionics. I mean, not by just telling a lot of personal stories about himself and uh, that kind of thing. No, he didn't shout. He was calm in his manner. He spoke evenly, softly, clearly, boldly. All those combined, and people hung on every word. I've known a few speakers, humanly speaking, that come close to that. And, uh, but that's another story, Bible teachers and preachers. But he will be, have great skill as a teacher, is what he's saying here. And powerful in word and deed. He was equipped for this work, having been living in obscurity. We'll see, we'll get a hint here as to how that happened. 
He sustained the weary by his words. Just was comforting in his manner. And it was, his ministry was a compassionate ministry. He didn't come with bombast and just lay people in the shade. He comforted, exhorted, explained, was compassionate, interested, soul caring, soul awareness. And his, tra- he had his trained tongue, he also had a trained ear. You don't get a trained tongue without a trained ear. What's this trained ear? Totally unlike the guilty silence of, of Israel, as mentioned previously. And that he had a listening, a trained ear. And this was, it was not the acquisition of some technique, but the practice of discipleship. He was a disciple. The father, the father instructed him, exhorted him, taught him. And the weary are those, as he spoke to the weary, you know, he was the one who said, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And this was Jesus. People really stagger around under life's demands, don't they? You do. I bet we got a lot of stories this morning. And if we put them up here, and we could, we could probably play king or queen for the day. There used to be a program like that, you know, it was rather modeling. And they would bring in, it was a queen for a day, and this woman would come in and tell the audience, she would tell them about her woes and sorrows, and, and then everybody would go. And then when they got about three or four of these, the one who got the most got a washing machine. <laughs> so, so it worked. All the innocent days of television, once upon a time. But... I, not to make light of demand, life's demands and difficulties, I'm not making light of that at all, but we have our stories. And when you walk through the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, you will see that Jesus, uh, here was a man who was uh, a paralytic, he could walk, they let him down through the roof in this house, and he comes and Jesus forgives his sin. You can have anything more precious and more enduring and valuable for time and eternity than for the Lord Jesus Christ to say, your sins are forgiven. Think of the load that takes off. Oh, he did that. And he, and the Sermon on the Mount. I've been on that spot, at least approximately so. They're not exactly sure. There's no historical marker there. But it's right there by the hilly green hills, uh, grassy hills alongside of the Sea of Galilee. You can hear very well. Actually, I was privileged at that time to uh, recite the, the Beatitudes at that spot with the group we were with. But Jesus did it much more profoundly, I can guarantee you that. But that's where he spoke, out there off the water edge, and people could hear him and read through Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. And then we have the widow of Nain. I reread that story. What a story. She's coming along. It's a funeral procession. And this, she, the woman is coming along and they're carrying her dead son along to his burial place. And Jesus encounters this uh, burial, uh, funeral entourage. It's the ancient version of all the cars coming with their lights on. And Jesus then stops. You know what it does? Jesus does. He says, arise and walk. 
gave him back to his mother. <laughs> you got to like that. Jesus, this is just so typical of his ministry. He probably had hundreds and hundreds of situations like that. And then the woman at the well. <laughs> Talk about a woman who was spiritually thirsty and she didn't know why. But she, Jesus goes through that. Here's this water. I, but here I am. I am. He spoke to her of living water. And if you drink of me, you, you'll never thirst again. And she then, he began to tell her, this is your life. I know about you. How do you know these things? And then I, the, the text is uh, kind of goes right by this fact that apparently the words of eternal life enter into her own heart. And, law, and she puts her trust in Jesus as her Messiah. She goes into the village and brings all these other people out to hear him. It's an incredible story of an encounter with Jesus. And then, oh, you've got to love this one. At the end of the Gospel of John, and you, you remember what a pill Peter had been. Peter, he just was reckless. He, 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 his, his tongue was engaged before his brain was. And, uh, and you know, he denies the Lord. And it just looks like he, he's, he's done. He's finished. Oh, no. And Jesus gets there by him and his disciples on that cool morning on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he even sets it all up for them. He sets up uh, the, cook, the fish and the bread. And they come in and, oh, you know how smells are early in the morning. They're so pungent. And so they smell the, what's their breakfast. And then Jesus takes the occasion to speak to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, young Peter, you know, three times. Peter said, Lord, you know, I really like you a lot, sort of like that. And do you love me? Do you love me? And then he reassured him with this, which is it's stuck on my mind through the years in one way or another. Feed my sheep. He restored him in front of his uh, this fellow disciples. This was the way Jesus was the disciple himself. He spoke. He had a trained tongue and trained ears, as yours were just then. And he did this. And what we go on to see in this passage, it says that he awakens me. Who's the he and who's the me? Let's get the pronouns right here. He's the Father awakened me, God the Son. Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear. Jesus got up in the mornings while it was still dark, got dressed, went out of the house. There's this little house there by the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, we visited the stone ruins of that. It's not much to see. But you can make an outline of the house. It was probably Peter's house. Uh, the archaeologists have uncovered. Not far, just stone throw from, from the sea, the waters. I can just see Jesus getting up. You can hear the first birds of the day. You can hear the water gently lapping up on the shore. It's so quiet. The dark sky, you can see the still see the stars. But you can see the early morning dusk, the light, the sun's casting on the horizon. And Jesus goes out at a distance from that place, and he talks with the Father. And he says, he instructs me. He meets with me, the Father, with the Son. Well, you, think, you say, Wait a minute. Why would Jesus need to do that? Didn't he know? Didn't he know everything? I mean, he would have put artificial intelligence in the shade. 
Oh, but you must know your Christology. Do you know it? He humbled himself. What did he do? He chose not to have access to all the reservoirs of truth and knowledge available in a, that omniscience gives. He purposely limited that. He, what had happened to him? This is just one example. He had a listening ear. He learned, he learned from an early age. Now this really plays on my imagination. When did he start thinking? We have a little child around here. Some have seen Sam here today. All right. Imagine Jesus that Sam's about two. Okay. Imagine Jesus. He's thinking, putting things together, even in those early years. Oh, what, what's running through that little mind? And here is God in flesh. And what he does begin to do in those early years, think of his time there in the city of Nazareth with the influences that he has in the teaching. All right, the Father teaches him. Somewhere along the line, you know, his apprehension of truth, his understanding, his grasp of things, being able to know cause and effect. You know, all that goes along with a developing brain, and it, it, it accelerates, accelerates, and he hears the scriptures, Joseph and Mary, they know the scriptures, just, you know, his mother, she knew them well, you know, the Magnificat in Luke and how she prayed that prayer as a teenage girl. So he comes into a home where mom and dad are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And so he gets that instruction. And then he goes to the synagogue on Shabbat. And he hears they take the scroll out and they read it and they explain it. And boy, Jesus, oh, he's thinking. What's he thinking? at the risk of being way off base. He's thinking, that's why I'm here. He heard it. Because you know when passages were read and how, what access that he had. Here, I, let me get back to this. I got off my main track there a little bit. I get so fascinated with how Jesus began to learn in the synagogue and how he, his mind was trained to know his purpose in life and why he had come. But then look at these examples. I'll give you four of them just briefly. These examples of how Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures. In the first place, at the temptation, when Satan took him out and thought he would beat him down to size, didn't work. Jesus had comebacks, and he hit the bullseye every time to get the right quote, the right passage, the right thinking, all of that. Oh, I haven't forgotten the fact when he was 12 that he went to the temple and he was interrogated by the theological scholars and they were fascinated by this 12-year-old. All right, but we'll come back to these other things. He had an understanding of his mission. The Son of Man must, must go up to Jerusalem and suffer. He told his disciples, but that just went right by them. But he knew why he was here. He wasn't... I got a little put out with that Chosen series. I just saw one of them. It was like Jesus was kind of staggering around as a young man, trying to really think things through as to why he had come. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. He knew. He knew. And so he understood his mission. He understood the significance of his resurrection. Luke 20 and verse 37. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Those men, those men were living because when they died, they were still alive by trust in Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus knew the significance of his own resurrection. And he spoke of his own authority. Psalm 110 and verse 1. Did he ever tie the religious scholars in knots with his use of 
first with Psalm 110.1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Who is he speaking of here? Jesus and the Father. So you can just see so many ways that Jesus just baffled those who knew the Old Testament. So he was a disciple. He knew the Old Testament. He learned obedience. He had this rich development of thought through life, even when he was hidden, working with his father in construction jobs. Jesus didn't just work as a carpenter. I'm not minimizing the fact that he made chairs and tables and so forth. But his father was probably a contractor. And he worked with his father on those contracting jobs. And all this time, Jesus is putting th things and going through his mind about his mission in life. Uh, sidebar here. We have a preacher in this area who has created a little bit of somewhat we might call it fame for himself. Selling that we need to get unhinged from the Old Testament. Oh, really? Do you know what, folks? The Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus. Where did he get what he had, what he knew, how he fulfilled his ministry? Probably knew every verse, probably memorized the entire Old Testament, knew all the correct interpretation. Unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament? I would just say to the preacher who would put that upon people, oh, may God have mercy upon you what you're doing to mislead people, the people of God and the authority of the scriptures and the value of the Old Testament. Oh, I got to come off that. Let's go on further here to the, see this here. He's in this intimate, being trained in intimate, in intimate relationship with God the Father. And so I will say this in passing, but with emphasis, please, that the servant modeled for us a very important truth here. We must be good listeners. Are you a good listener? It takes work. We need to listen to God. We need to listen to people. We need to spend time with God, and we need to spend time with people. There's no value. Jesus was not a recluse. He was not a hermit who lived up in a cave somewhere up north of the Sea of Galilee, and people had to go and seek out this great spiritual hermit. Oh, no. He was among the people at their demand. He was available. And you know, folk, I will have to say this to us in our mind, conscious of, and as you are, our culture, it's so hurried. It's so hurried. We can neglect time with God. And the scary thing is it becomes so easy to do that. If the TV comes on in the morning, which uh, I'm no hero with this, but we just keep it off during the day. <laughs> but get, get with the Lord early. Or, or, or it could be uh, a TV, really, beyond that. It could be something, social media, Facebook, Instagram. There are all these places you can go before you know it. You look at your watch, whoa, well, Lord, uh, bless everybody that I meet today and use me for your glory today. Thank you in Jesus' name. We need to be more serious and more mature, and we need to set aside time to meet with God. If your day begins at the beginning of the day, that's kind of the usual. You may work second, third shifts. I get it. But sometimes you get the irregularities that show up. You get surprises. But I mean a routine where you meet with God, and you're reading his word, and you're thinking about it. You're taking them a note or two. If you go through a study Bible, you could look your, let your eyes roll down the bottom of the page and see what this passage could possibly be saying. And you, you absorb the text and you read it through and you meditate upon it. 
And by meditation, that is that you're not just putting it in some kind of a capsule and sticking it in your pocket, but that it is such that throughout the day you're able to visit the thought that you had earlier in that day. And it you do this day after day. Do you want to know what the secret to the Lord Jesus Christ's skill as a communicator was? He spent time as a disciple and being instructed. He wasn't just some child prodigy who just like the kid can just show up at five years of age and play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or Mozart or something. I'm sure Jesus had extraordinary skills, but there was that with all right, let's go on. We've got three of these others. Let's look at the next one. The servant of God, verses 5 and 6. Let your eyes go there. The Lord God opened my ear, and I was not, I was not disobedient, uh, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. The servant of God will voluntarily submit to suffering and death. Ah, hmm. All that we said thus far, the servant was obedient every step of the way through his life. He was called a hardship. Hardship, though, did not deter him. This ought to make you sit up straight and take notice and humble us at the same time. Lord, I need, because Lord, I can sure wimp out at times over hardships. Oh, why is the Lord doing this to me? Oh, Lord, I think of people who, they deserve more of this than I do. You may not say that out loud, but we might think that. You know, these people who live these awful lives and look, well, they've got easy street. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my loved one? He or she, they live faithfully and look at the, look at the suffering they're going through. Hold off, hold off. Jesus Christ suffered every step of the way. And you know, this could not have been Israel. You know, this is an issue here that many have tried. They think that they've got, us, they've got us trapped on something here, that the servant could not have been Israel. Israel was blind, deaf, and had a calloused heart. Israel never listened to hear, chapter 48 of Isaiah. Israel was a nation of rebels. Starts out, Isaiah starts out that way. Oh, no. The servant always obeyed whatever God had spoken, obedience. They spat in his face. They treated him insolently. They disrespected him. I hear that a lot. That seems to be, you can get shot for that. He, he disrespected me. Boom, you're gone, shoot you. Jesus went through this entire life. Disrespect, no appreciation. He was mocked. And then when he got down to the trial of, he was not the guilty one. He was the one who was about to die for the guilty. And they spat upon him. They mocked him. They blindfolded him. They insulted him. And here the Lord Jesus was doing what? To bring justice to the nations. Think of some of the ways Jesus suffered. Now listen, this is a massive, massive uh, line of thought here. But let's just go over a few things here. Uh, we know this, that from, the, uh, from these servant songs that in his suffering, that he would not be disheartened or crushed, disheartened or crushed. Oh, God, help me. Then my suffering, my losses, the pain, the disappointments. Why me, Lord? And he, he said, he even struggled. He said, have I toiled in vain? Remember that from uh, when we went through, I uh, 49. 
You know, you can have a thought like this. I'll say it again. You can have the thoughts which Jesus had about his own ministry. Has my life been in vain? There's no sin in asking the question. It's how you answer it. And Jesus went through those times when he won. Everybody's, going, everybody's peeling off. Left. Here is the greatest message and the greatest person in the entire universe. And people just, ah, got to go. I got things to do. Got to go to the store. Got to go see someone. Don't have time for you. This, that, and the other. Mm. So here he was. And he will, he, we know he's going to suffer punishment. We see this in verse 6. He's treated like a criminal. And he experienced torture. And he was humiliated and ridiculed. He was sneered at. He was taunted. I'm using that little booklet. Uh, David Barber put me on to it, that little booklet from uh, the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Would tell me that again? Open doors, thank you. That, you know, folks, I read just recently, I'm reading, looking through it, what believers are going through in Mexico with the, the gangs. And if you've got, if we were an assembly and in, in one of the states in Mexico and the gangs, they know about us, the drug gangs, the cartels, we're toast. They take, they take pastors, they kidnap them, they kill the people. It's all over the place. Mexico is a corrupt system. And you're, you're a believer. You're, you're in crosshairs. And uh, the, when you, 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 you see what's, what's happening in, in other places uh, where Christians are their properties. I was, it was uh, uh, all that country right up to the north of India there. Uh, where you are dispossessed of your property, your job. And... Uh, I mean, what's going on with brothers and sisters in Christ in this world? Now, Lord, you're merciful to us, and you're giving us opportunities which are incredibly wonderful. But we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are paying very high prices for their stand for Jesus Christ. Servants, servants will face these things. Well, let's go to this third, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. The servant of God will be determined to vindicate God's glory. See what they say? For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. Mm, you've probably said this. He's going so-and-so, and I see it, it's written all over his face. <laughs> he's just jaw set. He's, he's locked in on it. What would they say in sports? Got his game face on. <laughs> he is there. He's focused. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. And he who vindicates me is near. Who is his defense attorney? Hmm. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Who are those prosecuting me? Jesus exhibited sublime confidence and majestic calm through his suffering. So calm, so collected, so didn't lose his thoughts, didn't go off into emotional panic attacks. I believe Jesus never had a panic attack, but he didn't. His, he knew how to handle fear. Fear is just panic attack is a fear to the 10th level, something like that. 
He resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. And the difficulties that he endured, they didn't result in any disobedience, but in obedience. Oh, Lord, help us, your servants. Help us, oh, God. We can just be, we can be such stinkers. We get in a tight place. Somebody disappoints us. Things aren't going right. Uh, children are acting up. Maybe my spouse and I, we're not, things are not smooth like they ought to be. Oh, Lord, I've got to think of some ways to vindicate myself. I've got to assert myself. My self-esteem is at risk here. Jesus didn't drink that kind of poison. No. He knew he would not be disgraced in the end. He knew he would not be ashamed. He saw the end of it all and would not. And so, in the end, it will be proved that he, he, he trusted God all the way through. I was about to say, it was a silly thought, just one of those thoughts. What would they have said at Jesus' funeral? <laughs> well, we know what the disciples did. It's all over. We're through. And Jesus conducts his own funeral and gets up in the, in the resurrection and comes back and gives them the evidence of his power over death. Now that's a funeral <laughs> to end all funerals. And so here is in verse 8, if you look at it closely, it's really a court scene. And the servant declares his righteousness, and he dares anyone to come and condemn him. And no prosecuting attorney would have a case. You, you can take your best Washington, D.C. lawyers. No case against him. Those who brought their charges against him would be as insubstantial as a worn-out garment full of moth holes. That's what he's saying here. And so now we come in the ninth verse to this final clue that's presented here. The servant of God will give proof that he's more than a mere human. See that in verse 9. He says that, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Jesus was vindicated by his resurrection from the dead. That's how he was vindicated. He was confident of the defeat of his enemies because God had been on his side. Who can be against him? Paul says that in Romans. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so that kept him strong and focused. And Jesus, the servant, was fully vindicated the name of God. And now what we are getting here, you know, we haven't even reached the penultimate here, where you get to the place in Isaiah 52 and 53, here he is, folks. I've got a secret no longer. Here he is. Panel, sit back and listen. That's next week, Lord willing. But look at this, this statement. And I want to conclude with this, because the response here is quite fascinating. You're looking at verses 10 to 11. There is a two-fold part to this response that's asked here. The first of all is in verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. One, we can summarize it this way. The best thing to do in response to the suffering servant is to trust him. Don't feel sorry for him. Don't put him off in some cheap category of great, just a, another great teacher. No. God's people are to fear him. Listen to his voice. Walk as God's people walk in darkness and they have no light. Obey the servant. Fear God. Let him guide you. 
facing the darkness with trust and reliance. You've been through dark times? You may be in one now. I mean, there's plenty of light here. I love this light. It really bathes this paper in front of me. Love it. Oh, I will tell you something that's far grander than whatever the best light can give us, humanly speaking. It is the light that the Lord shines upon his word and teaches us thereby. And we come to him and we trust him based upon his holy and errant infallible word written down for us that we can, it's absolutely trustworthy when God has spoken. So as we follow the servant, we'll be upon, God's going to call upon us to go through dark places in dark times. There's going to be grief complicated grief, multiplied grief, and grief's a bear. It will eat your lunch. But don't let it throw you and ruin you. Not at all. But this case is the first appeal is, do you know Christ? Have you trusted him? I think this is quite in order at this point. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, your assurance being based upon the promises of Christ? Not your internal feelings, not your emotions, not your subjective guesses, but upon the promises of Christ. Did you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you look to him for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life? Have you done this? Have you? Are you wrestling with assurance? Why? Well, you may wrestle, but come to what Jesus said. Quit trying to, you know, exhume all your past thoughts and doubts and mischievous behavior and sins and say, well, I don't know. That one, oh, I knew he could see, he could, he could forget this, but that, or I've been, I've been such a stinker. I, I, you come to the promises of Jesus Christ. You come to those. Therein your trust goes and places in him. But I've got something else here. Look at verse 11. I'm not sure how it fits in with what is a contemporary apologetic. Oh, look at it. The worst thing you can do is to be faithless. Look at this screams at us. Here it is. Let, behold, look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands have, that you have set ablaze, this you have from my hand, you have, will lie down in torment. What's he saying here? Go ahead, strike your matches. You're in a, like striking a match. You ever been in Mammoth Cave in Kentucky? Whoa, is that a dark hole? We were there once. You go in this place. Hello? You can't see an inch from you. Well, okay, I'll just take a match. <laughs> you will? A lot of good that would do. A match. What he's doing is that he's saying, listen, you who have not put your trust in me, you're trying to light the way in life by your own little fires, your own little personal enlightenments, your own schemes. Well, I think God is like this. Or I think God will do this. Or I believe things are best explained this way. Go ahead, light your little fires. And if you really want the stinger, here it is. I will tell you what is waiting on you. If you die, if you pass out of this life, your brain waves stop, your heartbeat stops, you are dead, and you've put your trust in your little fires of self-improvement, self-esteem, self-knowledge, enlightenment. You know what? You'll have to spend an eternity in hell. Forever. He says this, and you will lie down in torment. And so the light of human wisdom rejects the light of the servant. 
So to walk in your own light, in your own little fires, you're rejecting the light of the world. (laughs) What better light could you want than the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ? But go ahead with your man-made righteousness, your works righteousness, your torches of popularity, the things that you think explain life and give meaning to it. Oh, there are plenty of those around. These little lights of compromise but here is this stinger. Well, folks, I know that this is a tough note to end on, but this is the way this sermon ends, and this is the way in which the servant spoke. And I'm still just a little aghast at some of what's going on in, the, in Christianity, and I'll have to get into this in the Sunday school class next week as to what's going on apologetically of some. They're wanting to find a, a quiet mental space quiet middle space because we don't want to offend people and if you offend people they they won't listen to you any longer listen it's the power of God through the preaching of the word of God that brings human beings to conviction the Holy Spirit's work of convicting it's not our soft touch I'm not saying be crude and rude and mean and nasty and all that and just bowl them over with your bombast no Jesus Follow the way Jesus presented himself, but know this, it must be one of loyalty to the scriptures and that you're not evading, you're not bypassing the truths in scripture that are hard to take, the hard sayings of Jesus. These truths here, he said, go on, light your little fires of self-knowledge, your human wisdom, your little uh, uh, safe or quiet middle space. No, no, no. The only space that's safe is the space where truth resides in that way the truth and the life is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for the, oh, the way you've communicated to us. Thank you for this third song of the servant. Oh, Lord, now we're ready. We want to hear what you say to us in this final one that is coming in Isaiah 52 and 53. Prepare us for that. And Father, if there is one man, woman, young person, child even, never put his or her faith in Christ, oh, that this would be the day, moment, time. In Christ's name we pray and thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.